Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 94 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the great folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be back in the big chair for today, Wednesday, April 8th, 2020. This is the show two of three this week. That's right. We are back to three days a week. We're going to be doing this. I've sketched out the rest of the shows up until the draft. We will have three shows this week, a show today, Wednesday, a show Thursday. Then three shows next week, our usual Monday mock, mock draft Monday, 11.0. Then we'll have a show on Wednesday, offensive line, defensive line, edge. Going to put those positions together. And then on Thursday of next week, we've got episode 98 of the SCO show, which will be linebackers and defensive backs. Episode 99 of the SCO Show is going to be another Mock Draft Monday. It's going to be a little different. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later as we get closer. And then finally, Show 100 will drop Thursday morning, the day of the draft, which will be sort of my final Patriots mock as well as sort of last-minute news, notes, whatever, prior to the draft getting underway. Now, that's two of the shows that will come out draft week. As we get into the draft, we'll, be, we'll have instant reaction type of shows for, you know, You'll expect to get a show Friday morning, some stuff that would happen on round one. As picks come in for the Patriots, we'll get instant reaction pods out there for those as well. So a ton of stuff coming up your way over the next couple of weeks as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft. Today, though, all about the pass catchers. We're going to talk wide receivers and tight ends in today's show. Talk about my top 11 at each position. Going to have some Patriot-specific talk as well. Before we dive in, though, a little reminder, please check out the work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Pro Football Weekly, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Not one, not two, but three. Count them three SB Nation websites, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and right here at Pat's Ball. But also, of course, Touchdown Wire that I've been doing a ton of work on. A ton of work over at Touchdown Wire. I'm going to talk about some of those pieces as we get rolling here. Let's talk wide receivers. This is such a tremendous wide receiver class. And I think anybody that has done any work on this group that has just had a random thought about this wide receiver class knows that it's a deep group. I mean, when I did my top 25 offensive players for touchdown wire, I had wide receivers that got into that that didn't make it into my top 11 wide receivers. That's how deep the group is. You can reasonably expect to get somebody that will contribute at a good to great level as a rookie on day two of this draft, late on day two in this draft. And depending on how the board falls, you might get somebody like that mid to late day three. So yeah, it's a great group. The top three... Most people have them in some semblance of the same order. There are some that slide, maybe maybe a rugs down, but most people have them in some semblance of this order. For me, it's CeeDee Lamb, it's Jerry Judy, it's Henry Ruggs. You know, and when I got done watching Lamb, I felt like he was the best guy in the group. You know, when you look at CeeDee Lamb, you see somebody that Sure, he doesn't have the blow-it-away speed. But he's somebody that will make his quarterback better at the next level. Incredible catch radius. Technically sound routes. 
Any route working back to the quarterback off the vertical stem, forget about it. Curls, hitches, comebacks. Rolls the hips down into the break, works back to the quarterback violently, get in separation. After the catch, he's explosive there as well. Pro Football Focus had him 26 broken tackles last season, most in the country. He's even able to get small at the line of scrimmage and beat press, which is something that will help him with the next level. Sure, he didn't run a 4-4, but he gets open and separates. And that's the job of the receiver. It's not to run fast, it's to get open. After Up next, Jerry Judy. Also a pretty complete wide receiver. Played in the slot, played outside. Incredible route run, incredible short area quickness. I love how he manipulates the leverage of the nearest defender on a route. Just great job at threatening the defender's leverage and breaking away off of that. I love what he does at the catch point. He didn't face press as much as some of the other guys, though, so that is a question mark. But I still think, look, he's somebody that gives you a full route tree on day one. Henry Ruggs. The burner, right? 4-2-7 in the 40. I mean, he's a home run hitter on any play. Slant routes, crossers, forget it. He can take it the distance. Now, people sort of knock him for the fact that he didn't produce more. But when you're playing with not only Judy, but also Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle, who will probably first-round picks next year, like there aren't, there are only so many passes to go around. I think there are things that he could get better at, like threatening the leverage. Judy does it well. Ruggs isn't there yet. I think the fact that he's a burner helps him now, but might not help him enough in the next level. But still, all three of these guys are like top 10 pick type players. They might slide a little bit because of other needs, but these are tremendous talents. Wide receiver four for me is a bit of a controversial selection. I go with LaVisca Chenault. And of all the things I can say about LaVisca Chenault, the quarterback, the quarterback, he wasn't lined up at times, a quarterback. But the do-it-all receiver for Colorado is this. Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus and the PFF Draft Guide comped him to Saquon Barkley. And that's a tremendous comp. Because he plays the position like... Somebody that can run you over, like somebody that can run between the tackles. That's what the Buffaloes asked him to do at times. But he's also somebody that, when you watch him on film, the competitive toughness, that box is checked. The explosiveness after the catch, that box is checked. He can threaten defensive backs with his routes. He's got a great knack of threatening the frame and getting into the blind spot of the defender. He gets a dead leg move that he can use off the line of scrimmage that works extremely well against press. He's a big-time problem. And again, like we talked about with C.D. Lamb, those routes working back down the stem. Curls, hitches, comebacks, great on those. He does have the injury history. I have seen people with him not not even their top 15 at this position. But this is a matchup-based league. And if I'm an offensive coordinator like Josh McDaniels, I get LaVisca Chenault on the field. I'm going to keep the, my counterpart, the defensive coordinator, up all week worried about where I'm going to use him because you can line him up in the slot. You can put him in the boundary. You can put him at tight end. Colorado did that with him. You can put him at quarterback. You can put him in the backfield. You know, it, it's a situation where you have somebody that, not to make too dark of a comparison, but remember how the Patriots used Aaron Hernandez, right, before he went 
down that dark road. They could line him up at running back. They could put him in the slot. They could put him in the wind. They could use him as an H-back. They could put him into the boundary. Chenault, he can do those things too. 6'1", 227. Like, he's not the ideal height at a tight end, but as an H-back type player, you can put him there. And I talked to some people in the Pac-12, and that's how they viewed him. They viewed him as an H-back, a weapon, not a wide receiver. And so I'm a fan of what he can do and how you can use him offensively. Other people aren't quite where I am, but I'm a big fan. Wide receiver five for me is Justin Jefferson, also somewhat controversial. I'm of the belief, and I did a deeper dive into this, that Jefferson is more than just a slot receiver. Okay? As a sophomore in 2018, he played most of his snaps on the boundary. Now, last year, of his 937 snaps, 870 of those came from the slot. They moved him into the slot in Joe Brady's offense. And so the knock on him is he's a slot guy only. But you go back to 2018, you look at his film, you see what he did against press coverage. Was he perfect? No. Is it textbook? No. Did it work at times? Yeah. Is there evidence of him? Running routes against press coverage, beating press coverage, getting separation when it's not schemed for him by Joe Brady? Yeah. Is his best spot in the NFL on the boundary? No. But he's not just a slot receiver. You can move him around. I think he can be a Z at the next level. And when you think about this wide receiver class and trying to differentiate these guys in such a stacked group, the fact that he can do that Puts him up the board in my mind. Wide receiver number six for me, T. Higgins. Again, I'm higher on him than others are. He seemed to sort of slide down boards as guys like Denzel Mims came up. And Mims, where he had a fantastic pre-draft process, LaVisca Chenault and Tyler Johnson's have been that bad. We'll get more into Johnson's in a bit. Mims had a great pre-draft process. But that rise sort of knocked T. Higgins down the board because now you're talking about two similar play styles, two X-type receivers. But when I watched T. Higgins, I found I saw the prototypical X receiver, a guy that can win on the outside against press, stress defenses down the field, win at the catch point, and in contested catch situations. He had a fantastic game against Syracuse. He was pressed all the time. But I saw a ball-winning X-type receiver. I think the fact that he didn't test at Indy and then had a bad pro day coupled with the rise of Mims has him dropping down boards. I've seen people that say he's not a first-round pick now. I think that's an example of overthinking it. I also love this little thing about him. And it's small. It doesn't matter much in the big picture. But I think it speaks to the football player he is. When he's not involved with a play, say it's a run and play or... Sometimes, you know, he's not really involved in the route. He varies his approach as to how he interacts with that cornerback across from him. Like, for example, they had a red zone play. Trevor Lawrence keeps it on a quarterback keeper on an inside zone read, keeps it for a touchdown. Higgins isn't involved at all. He shows the cornerback a fade to the back corner of the end zone and jumps like he's reaching for a throw. There are other times when it's running plays where he'll immediately stock block and mirror or he'll run a route. 
He'll run a slant. He'll run a fade. He'll run what looks to be a post. He'll run a hitch. So if you're a corner, he's constantly showing you something different. And sometimes when he's running these pseudo routes, he's setting you up for what he actually might run that route. He gets a look at how you're going to defend him on the slant route or how you'll defend him on the fade or how you'll defend him on the hitch. So then when he's actually doing it, he knows how you're going to handle it. It's so small. It's so minor. I, Unless I missed it, I haven't seen anybody else picked up on that. But I love it about him. I love it. And so, yeah, I'm still on the T. Higgins train. Maybe I'm alone on that, but okay. But now we get to the guy that most people have above him, and it's Denzel Mims. And my comp for Denzel Mims, Willie Galt. Track burner. Guy has wheels so dangerous on those vertical routes, working downfield, goes, back shoulder throws. Like, coming out of Baylor, look, you're not running a ton of different routes with him. Very limited. Curls, hitches, goes, and slants. Like, that's what he ran, and he did well. And so it becomes that question, don't tell me what he can't do, tell me what he can do. Denzel Mims can run those routes, and he can contribute right away. But if you're looking at the best guy of the group, I'm not sure you're finding him. He's not as well-rounded as others. But I still like him. Up next, next wide receiver for me, wide receiver number seven, oh, eight, excuse me, Jalen Rager. And I, I know other people love him. There are things to like about him, but I think he's basically a West Coast guy. Like, I'm not so sure that he's somebody that's going to be scheme diverse. I think he's good. I think he's good at what he does, but it doesn't really blow me away. Up next, after Rhaegar, Brandon Ayuk. And he's also moving up boards. A lot of people have him even above Jefferson at times. He's so explosive. Monster after the catch. Great on some of those vertical stem routes. I love what he does on in-breaking routes. He had a touchdown on a post route against Washington, where he just housed it and maintains his speed through the entire route. It's incredible. But he's more of a body catcher. He doesn't have the confidence in his hands that some of these other guys do. And so I'm wondering about that. He's got a tremendous wingspan, but I don't think he uses it well. I think he could get to balls and have a more improved catch radius. And finally, you wonder about the Nikhil Harry situation. Because when Harry was there, the offense ran through him. And now he finally got production last year. It's really one year of production. So that's a question mark, but still very good player. Number 10 receiver for me, Michael Pittman. This guy has Allen Robinson written all over him. He can win downfield. He can win short. He can win intermediate wins contested catches, but still gets enough separation where I don't think it's a Jalen Strawn redux type of situation. I think he's a tremendous vertical threat receiver with a possession aspect to his game. And if the Patriots draft him anytime in this draft, I'm overjoyed. And we rounded out with Tyler Lawrence for me, who has had a miserable pre-draft process. 
Doesn't go to the East-West Shrine game. Begs off of that, saying he wants to focus on the combine. Gets the Indy. Doesn't do anything. Saves it for his pro day, which gets canceled. Like, I wrote in the piece that there will be books written about Denzel Mims and his pre-draft process. And there will be books written about Tyler Johnson's pre-draft process. But more in the lines of Charlie's discussion to Maverick, you know, in that trailer. More in the realm of what not to do. It's been bad. It's been really bad. But I still see a guy that is a tremendous route runner that could be a red zone weapon that wins on his routes at all levels of the field. Great hands, good catch radius. The on the field is there. It's the off the field stuff that has me worried. I think that has a lot of people worried. Now thinking about the Patriots and what they value at the wide receiver position, I think they're going to love Jefferson. I mean, outside of the top three guys, I think they will love Jefferson. And if Justin Jefferson is there at 23 and the Patriots draft him, I'm overjoyed. I am absolutely elated. Because I, I think he can play a number of different roles for you. Like you could have Hemet Z, Edelman in the slot, Nikhil Harry perhaps at the X. And I think you can make that work. And then with Harry, you know, he doesn't have to do a ton. Jefferson can do more. He can take on more. And with Edelman and Jefferson, you can do some interchangeable stuff with them. They can sometimes have Edelman at Z. You can have Jefferson in the slot. I think you can handle what the Patriots ask their slot receivers to do fairly quickly. I would be overjoyed there. I know get later into the draft, James Prochet seems like a Patriot. Quintus Cephas seems like a Patriot. But I would love Justin Jefferson. I don't think he gets to 23, but I would be overjoyed if he does. So that's a quick look at the receivers. Up next, the tight end class. Yeah, it is what it is. That's ahead on episode 94 of the Scope Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 94 of the Scope Show. And before we dive into the tight ends, I know people might wonder, hey, well, what about the running backs? I'm not going to go full on running backs, don't matter. But kids, with Sonny Michelle and Damian Harris and James White and Rex Burkhead, I don't think running back is a high priority right now. And with so many, with so little time, only so many shows we can do, we're going to skip on the running backs. If they draft a running back, we won't be ready with takes. But we're not going down that road. Let's talk tight ends, and it's not the best class. If you were someone not naming names, Jim Reynolds, that wanted them to perhaps double dip a tight end last year, like I did, like most of us did. Why didn't they address the tight end position? But I digress. If you were somebody that were hoping they would address it last year, you're going to be even more upset this year because this isn't the best group. As I said earlier, when I was doing the top 25 offensive players, I had a bunch of wide receivers in there. There were no tight ends in that group. We might not see a tight end until, you know, 8.30 Eastern Friday night. Like midway through round two. Whereas last year we had two in the first round. Three. No, two. Two in the first round? Either way. I think it was just the two. But we had something like seven in the first three rounds. I'd have to look that up. But we're not going to see those kind of numbers. The guy I like the most is the Notre Dame kid, Cole Komet. 
And you just have to turn on his game against Georgia and see the first couple of plays, and you'll see why. Great contact balance. He's got some pace to his routes. He had a seam route against Georgia where he sort of slow plays it, burns by the second level, gets separation against single high. Single high free safety tries to unload on him. He stays down for the count while Komet just kind of brushes it off. It was Gronk-esque. I'm not saying he's the next Gronk, but it was Gronk-esque. Same with the catch and run he had. First play from scrimmage, I believe, for for Notre Dame's offense against Georgia. Chips, releases to the flat. One of the the safeties, or I think it was the the play side corner, has almost 12 yards of a dead sprint into his legs, and he just runs him over. I think he could potentially be that unicorn in this class, somebody that can be a do-it-all tight end. Somebody else? Adam Trotman. And look, I'm a fan of Trotman. I was a fan of him coming out of Mobile. I was a fan talking to him at Mobile. Turn on the tape against Valpo. What do you see? First play, runs through a jam, catches a high throw in a post route, runs a safety over in the middle of the field. If you're going to go in on an FCS type of kid, you want dominance, and that's what he did. But he showed at Mobile he can play at the next level. I think he can be a, a inline blocker. I think he can be a flex type guy. I'm a huge fan of his. I comped him to Mark Andrews. I think he could be that kind of player, that inline and in slot type of guy. But after those two, it starts to thin out in terms of guys that can be the complete player. You get into more move types or H-back types. Hunter Bryant from Washington, he's a more of a move type guy. Although he did do some better things on film as a blocker than I think people give him credit for. He just needed to have advantageous angles to do it. Whether he was aligned as a win and slice blocking, as an H-back and working angles, whether it's to the middle linebacker or to a, a, you know an alley-type player, to a slot corner or something. Like If he has a good angle, he can do it. Backside, they would run away from him. If he's lined up in line, they're running outside zone the other way. Like That's just the way it was. Okay. Like it tells you what they think about him. And the other interesting thing with him, it seemed like they would pull him off the field in the red zone. Probably because 6'2". Not really that kind of like big target in the red zone that you get with other tight ends. But I think, look, if you're looking at somebody that could potentially transition down the road into being an all-around guy but could contribute early as a move type guy, that's him. Then there's Bryson Hopkins. Again, another move type guy. Reminds me so much of Mike Giusecki when Mike Giusecki was coming out. A guy that could get open, sink his hips into routes, almost looked like a, a slot receiver or a big slot type guy. But if you're asking him to play in line more than eight or ten snaps a game, if that, you're using him wrong. And Hopkins moves like a receiver. Ability to run away from defenders, can separate consistently, but it's just he's going to have to do it as a big slot type guy. There's going to be a curve there for him. Next guy on my list, tight end number five for me, Josh Nogara from Cincinnati. And I comped him to Kyle Juszczyk. And if you go back, and I did over the weekend, watch some of Kyle Juszczyk at Harvard, you see some similarities. But what I like about the Cincinnati kid I love how he throttles down versus zone. I think he's a good route runner. 
Watched his game against Ohio State. You see him swimming people off the line. Setting people up with his breaks. But he can play in line as well. And so I came away very impressed with him. And if you're talking about, you know, you're probably into the third round, maybe early day three at this point. Yeah. I would love this kid at some point. Big fan of what he can do. Tight end six for me. Alberto. The 4-4-9 that he ran at Indy probably brought some people back onto that train. I saw, I think it was Gil Brandt had him a tight end one. I think what was impressive for me, though, you could see the route running on film. We shouldn't have been surprised by the speed because he was running away from people on anything vertical. Now, he doesn't have great change of direction ability. He ran the mic drop 40 and shut it down. So we didn't get a chance to see what might have been like a 7.6 three cone. But any route with minimal break, like a go, like a seam, like a wheel, like a crosser, he's going to get separation. And again, when you're into this point of the draft where you'll probably be when you're drafting him, you'll be happy with that. And he's got good size. I don't think the blocking is there yet, but the potential is. Tight end seven for me is Devin Asiasi from UCLA, who might be, after the top two guys, the most complete guy, or at least potentially the most complete. He's a pretty good blocker, had a lot of release off the line of scrimmage, dependable both inline and working in space as a blocker. I think he could be better in traffic. I think... The fact that there are so many move type guys, he might get that boost because if you're looking for a more complete player, he could be that player for you. And I think similar to what we were just saying with Albert O, you get to this point of the draft, I'd be okay with him. I mean, if you were going to tell me that they got a Bryson Hopkins and a Devon SCSC out of this draft, the Patriots did, I'd be okay with that. I'd probably like a Trotman and a Hopkins more. But I don't know if they'll be able to swing that unless they do really sort of trade down and get multiple picks on day two. But I do like the UCLA kid. I was also Harrison Bryant, number eight for me. And I I want to like him more. I love him from a competitive toughness standpoint. He had a a play against North Texas where he got took an awful looking shot to the knee, missed a series, but came back. I was very impressed with his ability to sort of fight through that. But he's got, it was brought up in the Scotia Slack channel, the lack of length, the short arms. And once I was re-watching him, I couldn't get that out of my head. He's not somebody you're going to feel comfortable playing in line. But you put him out of the slot and it's not like he's always getting separation. A lot of his production was schemed, double moves and things like that. So... Like some other players in this class, I don't know what to do with them. And because of that, while I'm intrigued, I'd rather him be somebody else's question to answer. After Harrison Bryant, tight end nine for me. Thaddeus Moss certainly has the NFL legacy, as does Bryson Hopkins, by the way, whose dad was an offensive tackle. And Thaddeus Moss might be the best blocker of the group. I mean, he's a finisher. 
I mean, the all the offensive line guys like Duke Mannyweather that that stress finishing. I'm sure they would love seeing what he does on film. But he comes in at 6'2", 250 at the combine. He's basically a fullback. I think he's best as a blocker, as a route runner. He's a space finder. He can find grass and sit down. He's not running away from people. People lost their minds about the catch against Alabama, but that was just a one-time thing, I think. And so, great as a blocker. I'm not so sure you're getting Thaddeus Moss and getting the complete type mismatch tight end that you might be hoping for. Maybe he gets there, but it's a projection right now. Tight end 10, Cheyenne O'Grady. And when I was doing the write-up for him, I almost started with the negatives because there are so many. You've got the arrest, the suspension, the second suspension when he walked away from the team, the fact that he went to the combine, stood at the podium, and while taking responsibility for walking away from the team, looked at my good friend, Arif Hassan, and my other good friend, Thor Nystrom, in the eye and said, I'm finally in shape for the first time in my life. What does that tell you about his work ethic? If this is... We often compare the NFL draft to the world's strangest and longest job interview process. And it's gotten a bit more interesting. It's gotten a bit more intriguing given everything that's going on in the world. But think about it this way. And I use the sort of job applicant analogy with Justin Jefferson when I did the deeper dive on his film. But if you walked into an interview and sat down in front of a prospective employer and said, when they asked you your weaknesses and you said something like, well, I'm finally working hard in my life, you know, past four years or so, I wasn't really working hard, but I promise I'll work hard for you. You're not going to leave that interview with the warm and fuzzies. You're just not. Now, sometimes in life, yeah, things happen. And so maybe life changes and circumstances could make that a viable thing to say. Not this. But that being said, if you strip that away, there's a good tight end here, even though some of that lack of effort shows up on film, seemed disinterested at times when he was blocking or asked to block. But there are moments like a catch that he had against, I think, Mississippi, where he just takes a shot over the middle and you're like, this guy can play. This guy can play at a high level. But it's rare to see that. But still... In this class, it might be enough to get drafted. And finally, the final tight end for me on my top 11 tight ends, Jared Pinckney, the tight end from Vanderbilt, who I thought he could have been a first-round pick. Started him last year. Last year, he was a second all-SEC team player, 50 receptions, the most by a Vanderbilt tight end since 1984. 15.5 yards per reception, second most on the entire roster, seven touchdowns, but he stays in. 20 passes, that's it last year. 233 yards receiving, a career low, just two touchdowns. He's got the size, he's got the frame. The raw, you know, lump of clay is there. It just needs to be molded. I think he's a pretty good route runner. Moves well for his size. Moves his hips. Sinks his hips well. The potential is there as a blocker, but he needs to finish. You know, Thaddeus Moss finishes. 
Jared Pinkney doesn't. Too many times on film, he would get that initial pop on a guy, but think that would do it. And so he initially stuns the guy, thinks his job is done, and the defender he's blocking sort of gathers his thoughts and goes and makes the tackle. And it's like, look, this was a good three-yard gain. It could have been an eight-yard gain or a 10-yard gain if you finished your block, but he doesn't. That was frustrating to see. If he was able to finish blocks consistently, he'd have moved up my board. But that leaves us where we are. Overall, look, it's not a great tight end class. So, again, those of us who were screaming last year, please draft a tight end, please draft a tight end, please get a tight end, please get two tight ends, we're frustrated. But there's some potential in this group. The problem being, well... Anybody else that might need a tight end might be reaching for these guys sooner than we'd expect to see them come off the board. And so it makes it a difficult class to sort of project. That being said, look, if they can come away with a Trotman and a Hopkins or a Hopkins and an CSC, I think I'd be okay. I do think they need to double dip them with 12 picks. They've got some ammo to do so. So friends, that will do it for today. I will be back on Thursday, sometime Thursday. I mentioned it. Shane Alexander is going to come on. We're going to talk some Patriots stuff, even though he's from Alabama. He's a Patriots fan, in a sense. We're going to talk about that, how he's thinking about life for New England in a post-Tom Brady world. We're going to talk some big picture football stuff. We're going to talk some draft stuff. We'll kind of explore the studio space. That's Thursday. Until then, friends, stay safe. Take care of your loved ones. Check in on those you can check in on. Check in on your neighbors. And please, wash those hands. And as you do, sin along. And bless those Patriots reigns down in Foxborough.